Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. And welcome to the back of the range. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 321. I'm heading back out onto the road this week with a few stops planned. Thrilled to be attending the Haskins Foundation Dinner at the Country Club of Columbus, where I will be reuniting with Annika Sornstam. If you missed it, she was the guest on the last episode of The Back of the Range. So make sure you check out that episode and all the past ones. You know where you can find them, thebackoftherange.com. After that, I'm going to pop in and visit some of the collegiate programs in the Atlanta area before heading over to the East Lake Cup, which will be contested at the Atlanta Athletic Club with East Lake currently under renovation. The women's field will include Stanford, Texas A&M, USC, and the defending champions, Wake Forest. And on the men's side, Florida State, Georgia Tech, North Carolina, and the University of Florida, the defending national champions. After this trip, I will be heading down to the Dominican Republic for the Devil's Elbow Invitational. Really excited to get down to the DR for this tournament. It's relatively new on the mid-am schedule, but this one awards a PGA Tour star to its champion. It will be held at the Punta Cana Resort and Club. For now, make sure you're following along at Devil's Elbow Golf on Instagram and stay tuned for more information about this tournament in the next couple weeks. My guest on this episode is one of the true characters in college golf, Stephen Campbell Jr. from Oklahoma. We spoke about quite a few things in this episode, even talked a little golf. We talked about what it's like for him to play for one of the marquee golf programs in the country. We spoke about the many differences between college golf and amateur golf, and also some of his unique fashion choices. And perhaps the biggest matchup in amateur golf that we might actually see later this year. And that match will naturally take place at a Waffle House. Yeah, you're going to have to listen to this episode to understand that one. Let's go ahead and jump right in. Stephen, welcome to the back of the range. How are you? Ben, I am great. Um, it is great being on the podcast today. It's been a long time coming, but thank you for fulfilling my uh, my birthday wish. I couldn't ask for anything more. Happy, yeah, we're recording this uh, the uh, day after your 22nd birthday. I, I asked you if we needed to reschedule this because nobody needs a, uh, a hungover podcast uh host or guest and uh uh you sound pretty pretty darn sharp so i guess the question is uh you know what what did you do to celebrate with the team at ou i'm assuming they were invited to uh whatever birthday festivities you had what'd you do to celebrate the big uh what are you 22 now 22 now um well you know what i did to celebrate first off i woke up so that was always a blessing okay um yeah low low goals but uh, they're achieved okay you woke up i woke up we had uh we had workouts and then we went to i went to class so pretty uneventful starts the morning but 
played some golf and then after i'm a big asian food connoisseur like i love all things asian food and me luke kluver and jackson dow we all went to uh the sushi place called volcano in my opinion it's probably the best sushi place in norman and went there had a big time meal it was great and then jackson being the instigator he is uh insisted the uh the waitress that they had to sing happy birthday to me so they brought out a a big entourage of people and saying happy birthday so it was a nice touch to the uh to the night and then we watched uh then we watched a movie and then i went to bed so that's how i uh celebrated my 22nd the uh the raucous rowdiness of a of a college athlete um just never ceases to amaze me so um and and you know i i wasn't thinking that you know Asian cuisine is such a, a hot, you know, is Norman, Oklahoma, a hotbed for Asian cuisine? Am I just missing that? Or is that, is volcano maybe just, you know, is that about it in town? Uh, I mean, there's one other place. It's a hole in the wall called Mr. Hui. Honestly, the best bang for your buck. It is authentic Chinese cuisine. Incredible. Um, but Norman is not known for yeah. their Asian cuisine. Houston is way more known for their Asian cuisine than Norman is. So I've had to adapt and adjust being in Norman and eat more Americanized food, which I don't mind. I like pretty much anything food wise. Yeah, you can ask anyone on my team. I can imagine. Yeah. That's yes. uh, yeah. So when you're not, and we're going to, we're going to go off topic and tangent as quickly as possible here, because I just feel that we can do that. What, what would you say is actually the guilty pleasure of the team when they do get a night off or, you know, time away from, uh, you know, qualifying, which I know you're in the middle of right now, you're getting ready to go to Hawaii. You know, what is kind of the guilty pleasure of this team? Honestly, I mean, everyone's kind of different. Like for me, when I have a day off, I love to just go out and kind of eat a little bit of junk food and just not even think about golf, like sit on my couch all day, do nothing, watch a couple movies and, Honestly, DoorDash, that is my guilty pleasure is I have a little, not of not an addiction, but it's getting close okay. to, I will DoorDash some food because I'm an American and I'm lazy sometimes <laughs> and I don't want to get up and move. So that is my guilty pleasure. Um, Jay Summy, for example, any day he has off, he's going to go fish. He okay. loves to go fish. Uh, one of the local golf courses around here. Um, but yeah, I mean, everyone's kind of different on the team. I mean, Luke is Luke's kind of the same way. We'll just uh, kind of have a lazy day together and not really do much. Might DoorDash one to two to four times a day. No, I'm just kidding. But oh, I was we'll say, it's getting bad. Yeah, it's getting a little bad, but we're working on it. Okay. All right. Well, that's that's fair enough. Fair enough. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about kind of the start in the game here. Um, kind of something we like to do here at the back of the range and. I know that uh, you know Richmond, Texas, is what's on the bio, but actually, you were uh, you're you're born in Norman, spend you know really grew up in in Edmond, Oklahoma. Is um, I mean, when I think Oklahoma, I think you know, I think everyone probably thinks football, and they just that's I know there's a lot of rich history in golf, but how did you get into the game of golf when you uh, kind of got going in uh, in Norman? So my dad, um, he was the one who introduced me to the game when I was actually 18 months old. And the first place I ever learned how to play golf was in Edmond. It was called Coffee Creek. And unfortunately, rest in peace. I know. Um, I looked it up. Coffee Coffee Creek is done. It is now a housing complex in development. But the other day, 
I did hear a rumor. I don't know if this is true. Don't quote me on it. But I did hear a rumor that they might be bringing it back. So I'm very excited to see if that comes to fruition. But that's where I kind of learned up and uh, learned uh, to play the game was at Coffee Creek when I was 18 months old. And my dad took me out there. And I'm naturally right-handed in everything I do except golf and baseball. And the way I kind of learned that was when my dad was on the range and he'd be swinging right-handed, I would just mirror him and just try to do the exact same thing, but from the left-hand side of the ball. And that's kind of how I learned. And my dad always, I mean, he kept trying to get me to swing righty, kept trying to do the, all these different things to do it. And I, I just was so stubborn, never wanted to do it. So I stick, I stuck with lefty and kind of, that's, that's kind of how it all started was that at coffee Creek. Now, were you one of the, uh, kind of the kids that just, that's all you did is you played, um, you played golf or were you a multi-sport athlete? Well, you know, I am not the most athletic person in the world. Okay. Um, well, that makes I, sense. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, you know, playing division one, high level college golf, that's a, that's a, I yeah. Mean, I mean, yeah, you know, not, not that much of an athlete when it comes to other sports, but okay. I did play t-ball when i was six and seven that's not a um, sport come on man they i mean that's hey, any kid plays t-ball i'm talking about on. actually something com- competitive like you know come cut me some slack okay well i played middle school basketball for a year actually yeah a year i played and then i did make the team in eighth grade so i was the manager and uh that is my non-golf athletic career right there that's it wow um, yeah, very uneventful, but yeah, it's about it. That is about it. Okay, <laughs> I thought you were going to say, but there's this one other thing I've done, and no, oh, no, there's... there there is another thing that I've done. I you I would not consider this a sport, okay. but take it as you wish. When I was in fifth grade, I was really really good at you know speed stacking, like the cup stacking thing. Stephen, just stop. Just we we can move on. You can just you, it's you could just say that I play golf. That's my passion. That's my love. Well, I'm giving the I'm giving the listeners what they want to hear. This is this is what they want to hear. And I was actually I broke the county record when I was in Fort Worth for speed stacking, uh, doing this one uh, doing this one race. So, so that is kind of my hidden natural talent. Okay, so. <clears throat> so the the guy that's going to help lead the Sooners to a national champion this year, championship this year, his other skill, his other athletic endeavor when he was a kid is stacking cups. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Okay. Well. Yeah. I think you guys are in great shape. Yeah, everything's yeah, going to work we're, out. We're yeah, on the road for greatness. The road for greatness. Okay. Um. Wow. All right. So golf has been your passion in life. Just the only sport that you really loved. Um, so yeah, we'll just leave it at that. Um, God, wow. I have nowhere to go with that. Do, 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 your, <laughs> do your teammates know that, that, so yeah, see your teammates must know that the, the limitations of your athletic prowess, do you guys ever get out on, uh, the basketball court, or I'm sure, you know, a lot of these other teams are like, Hey, let's go throw the football around. Let's you, they just probably let you just sit in the corner and read a book. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, I just, I do get made fun of a lot for when we'll throw the football around or basketball. I'm not bad at, okay. I'm a great free, I'm a great free throw shooter and I leave my whole heart and soul on the court. Oh, Am Jesus. I very good at it? No, but I'll leave it all out there. Okay. And, I might have a couple technical fouls a game for um, excessive roughness, but okay. uh, 
other than that, um, I'm not very gifted at some other sports. So usually I'll just get made fun of, but I'll just, I just shake it off. Okay. So how, how do you get yourself? Cause I, I always just kind of assume that, you know, everyone that's playing at high, le- playing high level college golf, uh, is, had, you know, had the same thing as a kid. You know, they grew up, they played this, they played that, they excelled, natural athletes, then they just finally narrowed it down to golf. Um, how are you able to be so successful when, I guess, you're, I mean, I'm not putting your words in your mouth. I'm just kind of repeating what you said. You're, you're, not, you're not a natural athlete in other things. Is that correct? I mean, that is correct. I would say it comes from my work ethic. Um, I really okay. have gotten a great work ethic from my mom and dad. My dad is a... You know, he's in the oil and gas business. So, you know, early mornings, late nights, he's a super, super hard worker and always provides for our family. So that's one of the main people I have gotten my work ethic from. And then my mom, she was a uh, standout high school and collegiate athlete. She actually played basketball for the Sooners back in uh, 89 to 93. And, you know, she has helped me tremendously in my athletic career. And uh, I mean, I was one of the people I wouldn't be here without was um, my mom. So I've gotten my work ethic for my parents and, you know, nothing's ever given. Everything's always earned. That's kind of something that they always preach day in and day out. And, um, you know, I'm very blessed and fortunate that I've gotten to uh, carry that throughout my whole athletic career. Well, I, I'm glad you brought that up because I actually, I know your mom, your mom's actually a syndicated radio host, which, which is um, very interesting. And, you know, when I, one of my thrills is when people meet my mother for the first time and they see that she's a complete smart ass and has a dry sense of humor. They're like, okay, now this makes sense. I, now we see why Ben is the way he is. And then when I met your mom for the first time at one of the many tournaments, I can't remember where, but I'm listening to her talk, and then, of course, the way you talk, you both are excellent communicators. So when I met her for the first time, I'm like, oh, okay, I got it. I see why, you know, Campbell, uh, you know, Jr. is the way he is. And just people listening to this podcast are probably listening to my replacement at some point down the line uh, for the back of the range if, uh, you know, things work out in your favor, obviously. But, no, I the thing I wanted to talk about this or the thing I wanted to ask you about this is it kind of clicked me. You're really great with interviews. You're really great. Just, you know, as, like I said, as a communicator, um, I, I don't want to sound like the old guy, you know, telling people to get off his porch, but you know, kids these days don't seem to have that skill very well. Um, you know, whether it's just, I don't know, diving in their phone or just not, they're just not effective communicators. How has that kind of helped you in, I guess, multiple aspects of your life, not just in the golf course, but just in general? Uh, Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I would say it's helped me a lot, you know, meet a lot of different people and kind of have that uh, extroverted, boisterous personality that my mom has kind of gifted and blessed me with Um, when it's either being on her show or just meeting different people through her show or just anyone in the golf world or in the real world, to be honest, um, just now, is your, is your dad an introvert? No, he's okay. not. He's just uh, not, he's, he's not, just not at your mom's level. Correct. My dad is more of a, uh, just, he's super, super old school. Like he's going to give you a lot of one liners and dad jokes. Sure. And that is something that I have. Um, I will, <laughs> I'll, I will say a lot of one liners. There may be a couple that come up, uh, very shortly, but, um, yeah, I mean, my dad's kind of like that, but my mom, um, she, I mean, 
I don't know. She's kind of given me just a sneaky natural talent for kind of interviewing, being interviewed and all that kind of stuff. And it's been great, you know, having that, you know, good sense of communication when it comes to other people. Cause I feel like that's a uh, lost and hidden art yeah. um, in today in today's world. Cause like you were saying, everyone's on their phone. They're always, you know, not great at communicating. And I feel like that's a very, very important skill and asset to have um, in the real world today. Cause I mean, you're always talking, you're always communicating, whether that's in person, you know, over the phone, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. And that, that just kind of jumps out right now. Um, from people that I meet, like, like I'm interviewing a lot of players and, and coaches and, uh, I'm talking to people almost every single day and just kind of looking and like, okay, some get it, some don't, but yeah, you, you kind of jump out as one of those guys that are like, okay, that's, that's where I'm going to go when I need to ask someone a question about, you know, how they played or how the course is or, or just the experience of playing in a tournament. Um, yeah, you're, you're, you're better than you're better than most. So, um, but yeah, I, I think it, it's something that everyone should kind of work on. I kind of, have to try and pull it out of a lot of guys and some of the ladies that I work that I interview. So, uh, not you, sir, but, um, let's talk a little bit about your, your start with junior golf. Now I, I don't cover, um, I don't cover a lot of junior golf. Uh, I've seen some parent and child interactions that I wish that I could kind of just forget about. Uh, I think there's that fine line between encouragement and maybe being overbearing, I know that every, you know, young hotshot wants to to be Tiger Woods someday, but there's, you know, there's also that delicate time when everything can change, you know, when you're a kid. How did your parents encourage you just enough to get the most out of your game without being overbearing? Yeah, I mean, that's a that's another good question. Um, I would say kind of starting off, you know, when my dad was super, super involved in my golf, um, you know, him not being an athlete was a little bit tougher just because he really didn't know how to communicate or think in an athletic mindset. And it was a little, it was a little bit tougher, but we, you know, had to sit down as a family and really talk about, okay, this is, you know, this is what you need to say. This is what you don't need to say. And my mom really has kind of taken the reins um, for myself and my younger brother. And just because she was a former athlete, so she knows all athletes think and what, they do all the little clicks that we have and she gets it. She understands it. And that was a very, very valuable tool and asset that I've kind of had to have. And I mean, like you were saying, I mean, there's a ton of parents I've seen interactions that I don't want to see at all. Cause it's, I mean, it's just, it's, it's so hard to watch sometimes when parents are just, I mean, berating their kids over and over and over. I'm like, dude, they're nine years old. Like they hit a bad shot. They're not a robot. Like, cut them some slack. You're going to make mistakes. We're human. We're imperfect. And we're not going to be, we're not going to repeat and do the same things over and over and over again. So you have to let your kids, you know, live their life and you've got to let them make mistakes. That's the only way they're going to learn. If you're perfect all the time, you're never going to learn at all. You learn and grow when you're in adversity and you make mistakes. That's how you become a better person and a better player. Yeah, and I, I also think not just, well, the berating thing's terrible as well because, I mean, the, the kid's trying, and also it should be something, it, this should be fun. And I, I also just kind of shake my head. I'm thinking, like, look, you know, you can, you know, at some point you're going to need to turn this kid loose. I mean, the kid wants to go play college golf or he wants to, or he doesn't. But if, when he gets to that level, you're not going to be involved anymore. I mean, the, the kid's going to have a coach. The kid's going to have to ultimately figure it out how to do it themselves. 
So if you're constantly doing everything, um, it's it, you're just pr- you're just prolonging the inevitable. Where at some point you're going to be alone and you need to figure it out, and mommy and daddy aren't there for you. I agree. No, I um I totally agree with that because I mean we gotta we've all got to grow up at some point, and you know you cannot just ride your parents' coattails all the way through life. I mean you got to mature as a man or a woman, and you know you got to learn. You got to go through the hard lessons in life to grow and to mature. And, you know, if you're piggybacking off your parents the whole time, it's just, it's, you're not going to get far. You've got to, I don't know, like our coach says, you got to sack up and, you know, (laughs) learn the lessons the hard way. Yeah, we're going to talk about Coach Hibble in a little while. Don't you worry. What is, uh, what is, it's, uh, what is the biggest misconception, looking back now, biggest misconception in junior golf? And I know, oh. that, and I know that's a that's a loaded question right there. But I mean, as a guy that played at you know you played AJGA, you went through the recruiting, uh, all, all that you know you went through that process. You know you you traveled the country, traveled the world, uh, and all the all the things that go into junior golf. You you've seen you know j- hotshot juniors come in uh, through Oklahoma's program and and see them come through other programs. Um, you know, you know, I'm, I'm buying time for you about just by rambling here, but yeah, biggest misconception in your mind in, in junior golf. Yeah. I mean, like you were saying, I mean, that's like Thanksgiving dinner. That is a, uh, that's a loaded question, but, um, kind of, there's a one liner for you. I was going to say that loaded question. Okay, go ahead. Um, I would say throughout my experience, um, it's super, super easy to get sucked into all of the hype when it comes to, you know, how everyone's playing this, this, and this. And the biggest things that I've learned um, looking back from junior golf is I feel like people make such a big deal about, you know, having to play every single AJGA or having to play every single top level event. Um, for me, one of the biggest things that I wish I did was, you know, play in a couple lower level tournaments to, you know, start out and learn how to win. Learning how to win is such an underappreciated art and skill, and you're never going to get better unless you learn how to win instead of just jumping right into these big boy um, inventationals and all that kind of, all those different kind of tournaments. Um, I would say, you know, you've got to learn how to win at the lower levels to advance and, and to grow because that's a skill that you're going to take, you know, to the bigger tournaments. And if you don't know how to win, um, it's just it's such a harder learning curve, in my opinion, when you get to better events, because the line and the margin gets so razor thin the higher up you go. And if you don't have that skill to learn how to win, um, it's very, very, very hard to uh, to learn that. That was one of the biggest things that I learned. And the also the other thing is to just have fun with the whole process. This is not life or death. If you right. shoot a 75, you're not you're not going to die. You're just not. You're going to wake up the next morning <laughs> and life is just going to be is going to be just fine. Golf is not life or death at all. It's just a game that we all happen to be really good at. And I don't know. I mean, just it's not, it's not life or death. That's kind of my biggest thing that I learned. And I, I mean, it's super easy to get sucked into that trap and play that comparison game. Like, Oh, Jimmy over there is doing really, really well. I need to do the exact same things that he's doing. So 
I can get to that level. No, that's not the case at all. You're on your own race. You're on your own journey and you've got to figure it out yourself. Just because someone's doing something better over there does not mean you need to incorporate that into your game. Maybe it's something different in your game. It's always great to learn other things from different people, but not to take every single thing from that one or two people that are doing something better than you. Well, and also the other thing that, and, that I've been thinking about too is you know, you're going to end up if you're at that level and you're playing AJGA, you're going to find a place to play. And ultimately, that's we've talked about that so many times here. That's the most important thing in my eyes. Get some place where you're going to play. Not everyone is cut out to be a a college golfer at a UCLA or an Oklahoma or a Texas. That's a handful of those spots are available. So you know. It's much better to be the the number one guy at a at a smaller tier school or the number three guy at one of those schools than to be the number nine player at Oklahoma or UCLA or Texas. You want to get a place where you can play, and that needs to be kind of brought out into the open and have a conversation about that uh, at the junior level. You know, to tell a kid like, "Look, man, um, this is where you're going to be really. You'll be able to play. You'll be a college golfer here. It may not work out for you at this other school." No, I, I mean, I, I totally agree with that. Um, I mean, for myself personally, um, you know, coming into college, I was, you know, I thought I was going to be this big time, just hot shot guy. And I had to, uh, <laughs> learn, I had to learn a lot of lessons really quickly just because, you oh, know, oh, that, had, fr- that freshman team, I, I, or that year when you came in, um, I mean, oh boy! Uh, I mean, yeah, yeah. This is, uh, yeah. We'll 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 get back to one other topic I want to talk about with junior golf, but yeah, talk about that team you come into. You're a hot shit freshman. You're coming in and got your AJ, you know, junior right, junior president's cupper, and you're coming in and you got some just you got mid ams. You got some grown ass men on this team you're coming into. Oh my gosh. I mean, Quade Cummins was 25 in April. His six year, his six year year, he literally was a mid am when he was still in school. That was, I remember one day when he turned 25 for his birthday, we all dressed up like mid ams. And I mean, I was like, I was going to, my, my year made because I love that. But yeah. um, we just wore yeah, what I mean, you always wear. I mean, basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just a normal day. Yeah, I understand. But, um, I mean, you had Quaid, who was, you know, four-time All-American. Garrett Reban, two- or three-time All-American. Logan McAllister, All-American. Patrick Welch, All-American. Um, you had Ben Lorenz, who started that year, and he played freaking fantastic. Almost won us the national championship that year. Came down to the last hole. Um, and you, you come my- in and say, hey, guys, I can stack cups. Yeah, I can stack cups and I can play mediocre t-ball. That's what I'm bringing to the table. Right. Uh, Yeah, so as a freshman, you're coming into this and you're just thinking, what did I get myself into? No, seriously. I mean, I thought I had it all taken care of. And uh, newsflash, I didn't. I wasn't even close. And, you know, that was probably the hardest year of my life. But it was probably the most special and gratifying year of my life because I almost kind of had to like start over. I mean, coming in, you know, like you were saying, I thought I had, you know, the world by its hands and I, you know, I thought I had everything taken care of. Well, COVID hits, we've got 11 out of 15 guys who have to go quarantine for two weeks at some rinky dink apartment. And we were all bouncing off the walls, driving each other nuts. It was 
terrible. But coming at who, who is the worst person to be around at, at that? I mean, I know that you're all probably terrible, but how do you get through something like that? Well, you know, I'll give you a little background. So me, Ben Lorenz and Jackson Dow were all in an apartment together for 10 to 14 days. And by the time it was over, we had two or three noise complaints um, from playing indoor basketball. Um, We probably stayed up till two or three in the morning every single night, slept until about one in the afternoon. Yeah, because Um, why, why, why wouldn't you? Yeah, why not? Um, So our sleep schedule was screwed. Um, I think we all lost about probably either five to ten pounds from that because, you know, they only provided us like two meals a day. So we were were kind of scrambling and we couldn't leave. We couldn't leave to go anywhere. So we were just stuck in there. So that was, I mean, that was just all in all a terrible experience. But we get out and we come back and... I don't know what happened, but I like just lost my golf game. Like I, you know, couldn't hit the backside of a barn when it comes, uh, when it came to off the tee box, it was, it was terrible. And, you know, I was honestly for about two to three months, you know, literally in full form swing yips. Like it was a terrible, terrible experience. And, you know, after the semester's over, I go back home, you know, I'm swinging with confidence again and I come back to school and they're back. And I'm like, I, I can't do this anymore. Like I almost called it quits. It was, wow. it, I, w- I was in a very, very dark place, but throughout that whole experience is kind of where I, you know, first off, it's kind of where I found my faith on my own and my life verse Philippians four, six through seven. And that was number one, a big, big time, you know, learning, learning lesson and something that I've continued to take you know, throughout my whole life now was, you know, taking another big leap in my faith. Another thing was, you know, I, I changed swing coaches to, uh, my swing coach now, Larry Miller, who's, uh, he's out of Louisiana. Great guy. He played on tour back in the day. And I actually met him through my mom's show. He was my mental coach all throughout high school. And I just talked to him over the phone. I was like, something's got to change. I, I, you know, let's, I want you to be my full-time, you know, mental swing coach, everything. And yeah. went out to, went out to Louisiana for a couple of days. And, you know, we just, completely started from scratch went from hitting this big sweeping draw to hitting a little little bit of a baby cut and i finally understood my golf swing you know for what it is and you know all throughout junior golf i really didn't understand like you know my golf swing how i do things i was just kind of out there playing blindly and um yeah you know did that and learning from all of the older guys was such a big, big, big time lesson. Just the way they think, the way they play, how they act on the golf course. Um, all those lessons kind of piled and, uh, you know, you know, piled up had really helped me learn, grow and develop. And, you know, coming into, you know, I had a good summer and then coming into that next year, ended up playing in every event except one. And, you know, the rest is history. So that year was probably the hardest year of my life, but it was probably the most gratifying and satisfying year of my life as well yeah that's got to be a massive crash course of information for you just every single day not just you know you have your swing coach you're you're, i mean changing from a from a drawer to a fader that's that's huge and then um yeah and then just being around these guys and 
learn what was the biggest thing you were lacking actually forget about the the golf side of it the, the swing side of it so to speak what was the biggest thing you were lacking compared to, to the older guys like quaid and and brightwell and and you know reband like what is where was like the biggest glaring gap that you're like okay i gotta close this at some point if i want to get into the lineup I would say it was probably a lot of it was maturity, in my opinion. A lot of it was maturity and um, just they knew how to play really, really good golf under pressure situations because they understood their golf game, their swing, their tendencies to a T. And they were all great at something. They were all the best on the team at something, whether that was driving the ball, putting, chipping, mental toughness, anything like that. And I would say that was probably the biggest thing I learned was figuring out something that you're great at and making it, you know, making that asset, you know, the best on the team, the best in the country. And also just, I mean, I'm going back to the maturity thing, but that was such a huge thing because they were just so mature and nothing really phased them. They knew what they were great at. They knew their strengths. They knew their limitations. And that goes such a long ways in golf because, you know, look at Brian Harmon, for example. When Brian Harmon's playing against a guy like Bryson DeChambeau, he knows he's going to get outdriven by 30 to 50 yards every single day. But Brian Harmon still you know, has a chance to beat and is going to beat Bryson, you know, a lot of the time because he knows that, okay, I'm not a bomber, but I'm just going to put it in play, put it on the green, make a couple putts, shoot three, four or five under and let, you know, Bryson go do his thing. And if he has a great round, you know, so be it. But he knows his game. He knows his strengths and he knows where to attack and beat people because he's such a grizzled vet. And, you know, he's just really, really good inside 150 yards. Yeah, I think uh, that's kind of another thing that I see uh, out of juniors and and freshmen that are coming in, just kind of getting their feet wet with college golf is uh, maybe not a full understanding of their swing. And if one one or two shots go sideways, they're done. I see that so many times out there. You know, one drive goes sideways or, or a putt is missed that someone feels they should make. And mentally, they, they're done for, for at least, well, they're done for a while. I agree. Um, yeah, I mean, that is, that's another big thing you see in junior golf is there's just not a lot of mental toughness and yeah. grit out there. Just because, I mean, they can hit one bad drive that goes into the rough or is actually not in that bad of a position, but they felt like it was so bad. And, I mean, they are just out of it for two to three to four holes, sometimes yeah. even the whole round. I've seen people like that, and it's just like, Really? You're going to let one bad swing and one bad shot affect 18 holes of golf. Are you kidding me? I just, I, I find it so, like, I honestly find it hilarious how like, you know, how dumb that can be, how you can let one swing ruin your whole day. Yeah. How, how do, would, would you say, uh, well, uh, this is, I guess this is kind of a question when it comes to talking about like, going through qualifying and going through just playing so much golf throughout the year, you know, you're you, every, every little, you know, there, there's little swing issues that pop up throughout the season, um, you know, that you got to kind of work on, but you're also, like I said, you're having qualifiers, you're trying to make lineups. Uh, I, you know, we'll talk a little bit about what, what the qualifying process is at Oklahoma, but you know, how, how often would you say your swing is, is, you know, I get. I don't want to say perfect, but 
are you always playing when you feel like you're hitting it great? Or are there times where like, no, I'm, I got to go qualify or we have a tournament coming up next week and, and I'm not hitting it great, but I still am in the lineup and I need to figure out how to manage this. Um, I'm not sure if I'm proper. Did that make sense? How, what I'm kind of getting at right there? Yeah. That, I mean, that made perfect sense. Um, that's another big thing that I learned from those other guys is like how to play good golf when you're not spot on because as golfers, we are never, ever, ever clicking all the time. Yeah, we're going to have some times throughout the year where we're just clicking on all cylinders and everything is going great. And those are times where you freaking take advantage and you run. But the elite, the great players of college golf, professional golf, I mean, Tiger Woods, for example, he was the best at it. He always had one shot that he would go to when he wasn't hitting the center of the club face or he wasn't, quote unquote, swinging or feeling his best over the golf ball. And I mean, that that happens so much. Like, I don't know. I I also think it's a a lot of it has to do with, you know, it's so mental. I mean, golf is such golf is such a mental game. And if you can like just trick your mind into thinking you're swinging great, even when you don't feel that great over the ball and just saying so immersed in the present, I think that goes such a long way because when you're in the, you know, in the groove, in that kind of flow state mentality, when it comes to golf, everything is heightened, your swing, your touch, your feel kind of everything. And I've played a lot of great rounds when I'm not swinging or feeling my best, just because mentally I'm super sharp and on top of things. And it's just, it's so weird how golf works, but I mean, yeah, I mean, there's so many times where, you know, I'm not feeling my best and I've got a qualifier or I've got a tournament where I just got to go figure it out. And that's where you really, really, really have to hammer your strengths and know, your limitations because if you're swinging it well yeah you can you can do a lot of different things like your weaknesses are going to be you know a lot better on those days where you're on but when you're off okay yeah if if you're not hitting the center of the face or you're not you know doing this this and this well you got to figure out a way to give yourself the best opportunity and chance to let your strengths take over and when you're doing that and you're kind of in that groove I feel like it's just a trickle down effect all throughout the bag. And that's when you can play some really, really, really good golf. Yeah. And I guess also with, with college golf and five count four, I mean, there's, there's guys that are in the lineup that have to be kind of, I guess they have to kind of be honest with everyone else on the team and kind of say, look, I'm, I'm not feeling it, but I also, we need to post a score. So there's probably guys in tournament rounds. Some are going at pins cause they're feeling it. And some are just basically just trying to keep it, keep it on the tracks so that there's a chance if, if that fifth score is needed, that you have something to post. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. I mean, I don't feel like a lot of people, you know, are going to show that just because, I mean, that you never really want to show when you're off. Um, yeah, there's a time to be honest and there's a time to be transparent. But, you know, when, you know, your team is relying on you, you got to yeah. go out there and just figure it out. You got to go just out grit and out, out tough everybody. Um, and just figure out a way to go post a score even when you're not feeling your best. It's a lot easier said than done, but you just got to figure out a way to do it, no matter what it is, no matter what it takes, making those couple of putts for momentum or, you know, hitting the green from a, you know, a funky spot, just figuring out those kind of things and, you know, just figuring out a way to go post a score. Let's talk about the guy in charge at Oklahoma, uh, Coach Hibble. Um, 
you know, there's a there's a fraternity of coaches in the game right now that I think, uh, you know, that kind of have that title of, you know, the best coach in college golf. So I think depending on who you're talking to, it could, uh, you know, Hibble or McGraw at Baylor, Thurman at Arizona State. I mean, you know, Limbaugh, we can go down the line, throw in a bunch more. But, I mean, he's he's definitely the guy in college golf. He's the one coach that, you know, God forbid I got myself into a bar fight. That's... <laughs> That's the guy that, you know, uh, you know, McGraw, love him. Not so much. He's not going to help me very much. But but Hibble, I feel that if I'm on his side in a bar fight, I'd be pretty safe. Um, yeah, what would, I, would, I would agree. The guy's like a silverback gorilla. Yeah, he's just he's a little intimidating. What was your first? I know we're kind of getting out of sorts and in, in, in order here, but that's OK. People can figure that out. What was your first impression of him when you met him? <sighs> I mean, was there an intimidation factor? I would be lying. If I told you there was not, yeah. um, I mean, there is, cause he just got that, you know, intimidating aura to himself. But I mean, when he really gets a no coach, I mean, he's just, he's a great guy. He's a, he's a guy's guy. He knows how to just bro out and, um, you know, be, uh, and just, just hang out with the guys, but he also can flip that switch so easily just into competition and competitive mode. Yeah. I mean, just like that. And he always wants to win. I mean, no matter what, I mean, he, he hates losing more than we hate losing. And that says volumes because we all freaking hate losing. And, you know, you can feel it, you can sense it, but that's what makes him so great is his ability um, to just win. And I mean, we feel it all the freaking time. I mean, when we qualify, we're always trying to go win and beat the living crap out of someone else. Um, when we're at a tournament, I mean, that's another thing I had to learn was not being that Mr. Nice guy. Cause I mean, yes, I have that personality of being the nice guy and you yeah. know, wanting to hang out with everyone, but I've had to really learn to turn off that switch sometimes when it comes into tournament mode is, you know, this is not just a nice guy fraternity. This is, you know, you're trying to go beat the living brains out of someone. And we came here to win. We didn't come here just to, uh, you know, talk it up and come in fourth and, uh, lollygag our way to the plane now we came here to win came uh came here to get a piece of hardware and we're going to do whatever it takes to get there and that's that's kind of the aura that you feel with coach hibble i mean he just he bleeds it and you know it's just it rubs off on you so well and if it doesn't there's something completely wrong with you in your brain <laughs> well i i see that you know there's a lot of teams i mean i'm around a lot of college golf and as you know, and there's there's definitely a handful of teams that I see that takes a different approach to their practice rounds. The the mood's a little different. Um, you know, it, it's it's not as much joking. Um, they're they're pretty locked in and they're they're working. And Oklahoma is definitely one of those teams. And it's just it stands out differently than 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 with other programs. Like I don't. It's you're not yucking it up. You're trying to get a lot of work done. Um, absolutely. Yeah. What's, what's maybe the one thing that, or a couple of things that you're trying to, you know, gather as quickly as possible during practice rounds. And this is something that can translate for, you know, people that are trying to like play a practice round to get ready for a club championship or a state am qualifier or making a high school team, you know, this, this can go in any different directions, but you, you know, typically you guys have a very, very short amount of time. You have one day to play a practice round. You're going out and playing as a fivesome or a sixum. If you're, you know, playing, if you're bringing an indie, you got teams behind you, you got teams in front of you, 
you got to kind of get done. Normally there's a, there's a player dinner after that. And then, you know, a 36 whole day the next day. So it's like, we got to get our work done. What do you look for as quickly as possible uh, when you're playing a practice round? Yeah. I mean, another good point to all my mid ams out there. No, I'm just kidding. You're not a mid am, but, but you're going to hey, be, you're going to be one in spirit. You're going to be one in about a half hour. I'm sure. So um, probably, um, but yeah, I mean, back to the practice round thing. Um, biggest thing I look for is the speed of the greens. Um, okay. you got, you gotta be dialed in on the greens and the speed cause they change every single week. Um, type of grass, you know, is there grain? Is there no grain? You know, how slopey are the greens? Where are places you can miss? Where are places that, you know, you can't miss? Um, just these little tiny things. But I would say the biggest thing is the speed of the greens. I mean, you can talk to any professional, any high-level college golfer. I think they're going to say the same thing. It's really, really dialing in the speed of the greens. The next thing is, is you know, honestly, is chipping. I mean, we kind of play it backwards from green to tee. Okay. Like, get the speed of the greens. And then next thing is like, what type of surface are you playing on this week? Are you playing on bent, Bermuda, you know, POA, all this different kind of stuff you got to take into account and be like, okay, you know, is, are these chips around the green? Are they going to skid? Are they going to stop? Is, are the greens soft? Are they firm? You know, how are the, how are the different types of grasses that you're playing on? That's a big adaptation you have to have in college golf. Cause I mean, we're playing all over the place. So I would say those are the kind of the two main things. And I would say the last thing would probably be just, you know, start lines off the tee, you know, figuring out what holes you're comfortable on, what holes you're not comfortable on. And when you're not comfortable on a hole, really taking that extra second to half second to really just, you know, dial that in, figuring out places where you can, where you can't miss off the tee. It's, I mean, golf is a game of misses and, you know, whoever misses it the best is going to win at the end of the week. And if you can just hone and dial that in, I think, you know, those are some recipes for success. Yeah, that's really well said. Cause I, I know that you guys have a limited amount of time and also for, yeah, for mid-ams, it's, that's a great point. Mid-ams aren't getting to spend a day or two before a tournament. They're, they're actually lucky if they can get a practice round. Um, and if they do, it's a, it's one of those, a, maybe, you know, leaving work early, popping out at three o'clock and maybe it's only nine holes. You know, I, I can't, you know, maybe they can't see every single hole. So, uh, those are, those are great tips for anyone that's trying to kind of learn as much as they can before a really important round of golf. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's all about, you know, making the most of the little time that you have. Cause I mean, it's every, there is so many moving parts to, you know, college and professional golf. I mean, even from junior golf, I mean, junior golf, you could get out there two to three days before and, you know, really, really dive in and take your time. But, you know, college golf, you're on a strict schedule. You've got, like you were saying, one day, figure it out. Then you've got a dinner and then you've got a gas station run maybe. And then you go back to the hotel, go to bed and then wake up and it's a 12 hour day. You mentioned a gas station run. I think the last time I saw you, we were in a Bucky somewhere outside of Hockley, Texas at the Big 12 match play. That that whole area, is it me or is there just nothing in that area? It was No, there's nothing. Okay. I mean, it is barren. Yeah. I I was that was not a yeah, that that thank God they had that Bucky's there. That's all I can say. I agree. If there wasn't the buggies there, we would be um, toast. There was that's about all that town had. That and the golf and the Houston Oaks. That's yeah. about it. Track is pretty solid though. Track. Is oh, track's great. Yeah. It's actually forty-five minutes from my house, so it's oh, okay. like it was a little. It was a little bit of a home game. So I've I played out there a little bit. It's 
I love that place. Good vibe, great match play golf course because there's a lot of scoreable easy holes, a lot of a lot of gettable par fives, but some good solid par threes. So it's a great track, and they always keep it in just perfect condition. Yeah, I thought it was really good. I think the first time I saw you was at the Merido Collegiate back in 2021. Yes, but and and Merido's that's Merido's just a uh, Merido's in just a, gut punch. Yeah, yeah, that's just one of the most that's one of the most difficult golf courses I think. God, yeah, it's one of the hardest that college golf has seen in a while, and not not incredibly surprised that the Merido Collegiate doesn't exist anymore. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so that was a really really tough one. But I think the first time I really took notice of you was at the national championship in you know that season, and uh, obviously May twenty twenty two. I distinctly remember. I can't. I know. I, I'm thinking it was the tenth hole at Greyhawk, but I could be wrong. But I remember you making this putt and just yelling out just just this huge yell, whether it's, you know, come on or or let's go or, you know, I stack cups. I don't know what you yelled out. I couldn't. I, I stack cups. Let's freaking go. Yeah, I think that's what it is. Actually, I stack cups is not a bad catchphrase for golf, is it? No, that's that's kind of fun. That's kind of fun. I mean, you're getting beat I, by a cup stacker. Yeah. Well, well, no, but like, you know, if you make a putt, you know, you're, you're, it's, it's putting a ball in, in the cup. And if yeah. you make a bunch of birdies, you're stacking cups. I think you're that, I, I think that's your new thing. I stack cups. Yeah. I like that. Uh, and correction, it was on hole 16. Six, it was 16. It was 16. I made the putt. 17. I lost the hole. 18. I made the other putt to go into the playoff. And then Sisk beat me on the playoff hole, which was hole 10. Yeah, I I may be thinking about something else. I know, but regardless, I guess where I'm going with this is, um, I was like, man, who the hell is this guy? And uh, you know, where what's he's man? This guy's a little fired up. It may who who knows? Maybe it was even a practice round. I don't know. But no, <laughs> I, he's just. But yeah, really fired up. And and I guess where I'm going with this is where where do you, how do you get to that point mentally? How do you kind of get to the position before you go play? to get yourself just, you know, mentally focused, energized, intense? Do you ever get too intense? How do you kind of manage your emotions? Because, you know, I see some some guys out there, some ladies out there, they, they're they trying to keep it at bay. They're not trying to get excited. They, you know, they make a 20-footer. They don't want to show any emotion. Um, you know, they're, they're just even keel. You are not. You're trying to, to play off your emotions. How do you manage that? Yeah, I mean that's a that's a really really good point. And thank kind of you. Back, I stack yeah, cups. No, yeah, no problem. Okay. No problem. I stack but, questions. That oh, maybe that's <laughs> what I should. I stack questions. Yeah, you do. Um, but yeah, I mean, kind of back to your point. That whole tournament was it was great. Um, I loved every every aspect of that. And I mean, I don't know. That's just kind of my personality. Is I wear my emotions on my sleeve, and you know, I love just you know playing out playing with my emotions and just going out there and being as fiery and intense as competitive as I can be and you know when I made that putt on 16 because it was just such a it was such a very stale day like you know me and Cameron were playing and we were having a good match not a lot of fireworks were going on you know I'd win a hole then he'd win a hole then it'd just be a bunch of ties and then I'd win a hole he'd win a whole bunch of ties and I was one down going into 15 and um we were a little bit behind because i was i was a slower player back in the day 
And, um, yeah, we were like a couple holes behind and all of the matches were done on the golf course. So we hit our tee balls down 15. We're both in the fairway and we go from probably having six people out there, his parents, my parents, and maybe a couple of spectators to about 600 in the Whoops. span of maybe a minute. I mean, we went from, you know, both our parents to now we've got Billy Ray Brown, Nota Begay, all the golf channel crew, their teams, our teams, and about 400 different fans. So that was like, that went from a very calm round to my heart is on the floor beating out of my chest. Yeah. Um, it was, that's hands down the most nervous situation I've ever been in. And, you know, looking back now, I've really like kind of learned how to, you know, contain my motion emotions eternal uh internally um but that's i mean that goes back to a little bit a little bit of the maturity thing that i was talking about before was really knowing how to you know control and calm your emotions in these big pressure situations because when we're in nervous situations we tend to rush and you know get really antsy and get out of sorts and um i mean i'm gonna be honest i don't know how i you know contain my emotions that well but you know, I really didn't make anything the whole day. And then once 16 happened, and I made that putt. I just blacked out. I really did. I mean, what came out of my mouth was just pure, raw emotion. I couldn't control it at all. It just it just came out. Yeah. I mean, it, it just it just came out. I don't know how to describe it. It's the weirdest thing, but it just it just came out in all motion, all firepower. And I mean, that's just I mean, that's kind of how I play. I love wearing my emotions on my sleeve and I love just everyone the crowd going nuts and you know i'm going to try to fire them up and you know making that putt on 18 that four footer to go to that playoff you know again i just you know i let it rip because that was a big big time putt and i don't know i just i love it there's something about it that just really just brings out the best in me those competitive juices and now do you just, do you get frustrated so much fun do you get frustrated if you're playing against someone that doesn't have the same energy or does it matter uh, not really because okay. i mean if i'm doing it to someone i expect them to do it back i really haven't met a whole lot of people who have done it back to me that well uh, that like in that intensive of, of yeah. a manner but when i do it's like I kind of just laugh at myself like, okay, this is like, this is awesome. Like I, I, like, you know, I'm doing this to someone, I expect them to do it back. And this is, this is how it should be just a pure classic dog fight of just who wants it more. And okay, I don't so know. That, so that, it, cause there's, there's two ways of thought on that. Like, okay, I, you don't want to play against someone that's fiery because you know, your emotion is going to drive and get the best out of them. You know, just you you getting excited and getting pumped up, that's going to push them. Um, so you maybe you don't want that kind of person or maybe you don't want that that kind of the wet blanket kind of player where, you know, they're just they're slow or they're dull or there's nothing there. You, you can't feed off it. So, yeah, I it, there's two schools of thought there. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I don't care who I play. Just all I know is I'm going to bring the intensity and the fire every single time. And, you know buckle up and let's go you uh you guys fall short in 2022 um i was there and i i remember i mean i really remember this and it kind of you know we all i guess i should set up this a little bit better you know right now when everyone thinks about college golf 
some people think about what's next. They're thinking about the about PGA Tour U. They're thinking about okay, who's going to be the next hot shot on tour? You know, NILs in the in the picture, and every you know, there's agents around, and you know, when it gets to the end of the season, yes, there's the national championship they're thinking about, but but there's the other storylines of you know who's going to be the next hot shot pro, and. I remember seeing McAllister and Goddard up walking back uh, from from ten or eighteen back to the clubhouse, and and they're kind of crying. I mean, they're that's the end of their college careers, and and it just it's hitting them really hard that you know the Sooners fell short, and they're disappointed, and and they're letting it out. And you know, for all the people that are thinking, oh well, you know, these guys are just about ready to go make make millions on the tour. That's how much it really meant to them. Um, when you saw that as a, I guess you're what sophomore, you're a sophomore, weren't you? A redshirt freshman. Redshirt freshman. When you see that, how did that hit you? I mean, I mean, I know it's a was, gut punch, but still, I mean, yeah. after after you process it, how does that hit that, you? Yeah, that was hard. Um, just because, I mean, we had, su- I mean, we were the favorites to win the national championship that year because I, I, I mean, we won six or seven times that year. I mean, we tied a school record. It was. It was nuts how many times we won that year. And looking back at it, we can honestly take for granted winning. I mean, we did that year a little bit. And I don't know. It was, there was a little, like looking back at it, there was a little bit of like, you know, disappointment just because I felt like I let them down a little bit by not, you know, winning that match. But at the end of the day, you know, it's a team sport. And, you know, we're, we're all in this together and every single match, every single point matters. And I don't know. It was just, it was a it was an array of emotions just because you know I mean that was that was it for them and what they gave and what they uh, what Logan and Chris gave to our program was I mean something you just cannot put into words I mean we were just forever thankful for what they did what the lessons they taught all of us I mean they were just two great guys two great leaders might I add and um, it was it was just so so tough to see like you know that was the end of the road. That, that, that was it for them because they just did so much. And when we when you get that close with the team, because, I mean, we're always super close here at Oklahoma. I mean, we're always hanging out together, doing this, this, and this. And, I mean, we were on the road every single week together. And just to come up short like that, I mean, it was one of the bigger gut punches I've ever, you know, had in my life just like man this is over for them and it was it was super tough seeing them walk off like that but i mean now they're doing some incredible things chris pga tour player shout out chris well I, I just talked to him the other day i, I well I, done christopher well christopher goddard i'm gonna be on the pga tour yeah and he he had some nice things to say about you you know he said your course management is one of the biggest you know strengths on you know on the golf course in your game but he uh, he said managing all of your girlfriends off the golf course might be <laughs> might be tripping you up. Is is it tough? Is it tough to remember all their names or spell them correctly? What's what is the biggest challenge for you off the golf course? Would you say? Well, you know, Ben, like Chris was saying, it's I mean, do you just write their names on note cards or do you put them in your phone? Yeah, I've got a whole spreadsheet. I mean, it's, it's tough. Being, it's tough being that guy. You know? I it's, it's hard. It's it's a lifestyle. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, no, <laughs> Chris, I cannot believe you brought that up. Um, no, the, uh, the whole lady <laughs> situation has been a little, it has not been the greatest thing in the world at Oklahoma, but Hey, she is out there and you know, I'm just patiently waiting. 
I'm patiently waiting. She's out there. Okay. All right. Well, that's it. Don't blame yourself. Blame your surroundings. That's uh, that's. I agree. Yeah. It's never my fault. No, ever. not at all. Why would it be your fault? Do you think it would have anything to do with maybe your fashion choices? Because you you do stand out. Explain. Uh, I, I think the biggest thing that stands out is is the visor. And there's a handful of visor guys in college and amateur golf, uh, but many of them are are in the mid-am circuit, and they're not in the college level. I'm thinking, I know Shipley is a big visor guy. Who else is a big visor guy besides you and Keith Shipley? Mitchell. Keith no, Mitchell. No, but he's a professional. He gets paid to look like that. I'm talking about guys well, that actually make choices to do what you're doing. Um. I would say Neil is like Luke Potter before. Yeah, he oh, yeah, yeah, hatless. that's right. Potter, Potter. Yeah. Before he went hatless. Um, Potter, there's a lot going on with Potter. I got a lot get- of go- lot going on with Potter. Great guy, though. Yeah, he is. I want to I want to get him on here to talk about that. But I, I think I want to give him more time to kind of develop as a collegiate player. Um, You know, but but yeah, Potter's got a lot. So what, when did when did you go big visor? When I went big visor was so actually I got it from my dad. He always wore the uh, the tour visors, and um, I don't know. Just well, first off, growing up, I had a very questionable fashion choice. Like middle school, I'm talking neon Dallas Mavericks flat bill, blue Puma shirt. Just I mean, contrasting colors. Bigger guy, 5'2", 140, just a big bowling ball. So the visor would not have looked good. But I would say, I think it was at the start of 2018 was when I started wearing visors. Um, I just, I actually went into my dad's closet, tried one on, and I was like, I think this is going to stick. I think this is, I think this is, this is going to move the needle. Uh And tried it on and I don't know, just, just kept wearing them. And then when I got into college and I started playing, you know, these, you know, big time courses, I always went into the pro shop and was like, Oh, there's a, there's a sweet visor. Let me grab that. Oh, here's another one. Let me go pick that up. And I think I've accumulated over, I've probably got 60 or 70, uh, oh visors. My God. I'm not, I'm not kidding. I I'm looking in my closet right now it's that bad. and it is stocked high. And there's about 20 more at my house right now back in Houston. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just, I love it. And I love kind of that old school kind of, kind of look. I mean, what they did in the eighties and the nineties when they had, you know, collars out or, uh, buttons popped collars out, you know, high crown visor. That is you. Um, that is you. Old school shoes. I don't know. I love it. I love the fashion sense from the eighties and nineties. And it's, a it's a lost art. And, uh, Keith Mitchell and I were trying to bring it back. So Shout out Keith, and uh, hopefully we can uh, get more guys on the visor train. How how do you? Uh, I know this is probably an odd question, but I, I'm sure you're going to have a, a theory on this. How do you travel with visors in your suitcase without them getting bent and destroyed? So here's what I do. So see, I, see, I knew I knew there was an answer to this. Oh, see? I've got something. So I'll travel when it comes at school. I travel with about three to four Oklahoma visors. I've got. I think I've got about six or seven OU issued visors and I put them on top of each other because they fit really, really nicely on top of each other. Yeah. So it almost creates like this mold and this mesh Yep. and they do not move or get altered at all. And I put all my stuff in my backpack and then I'll lay them on top 
and I have my backpack wherever I go. So it's never going to get mushed or anything. So I don't put it in my suitcase okay. where all the crazy airport workers can mess it up. No, wow. I have it on my backpack on my person at all times. And, um, yeah, I'll just keep it on me and then, you know, get to the tournament and they are, I mean, they're, they're as good as new. As someone that travels as much as you do with your golf clubs, don't you think you should say something nice about airport workers for some good karma? That's a good point. I take it back. I love what y'all are doing. Keep it up. Okay. There you go. Just trying to help you out there. All right. So you got the visors. Uh, I think the, the most questionable look I saw to you this summer, uh, did you go full canary at the Southern or was that the transmiss? <sighs> canary visor, canary shirt. Where'd you do that? I'll look it up if I have to, because I know I got a picture of it. I'm trying to think. It's one what, of those. Was, it's one of those two. Hold on. Let's let's think about what this. What visor was I wearing? All I know is that I looked and saw that you rolled up with with a canary look, and I was like, "All right." Um, I'm trying to think. Um, oh, yes, that was the that was the USAM. Was that the USAM? That was the USAM. Yeah, yellow shirt. I had uh, the yellow shirt with the gray stripe, the uh, the gray shorts, and the uh, the white Waffle House visor. No, it's not it. It was no, it was something else. It, it was it was it was something else. But I mean that that's a good that's a look too. But it was definitely something else. The yellow. I'm trying to think of the yellow. It's okay. Um, it, it was definitely yeah. It was one of those events, but yes, they uh, actually, funny story, Imperial, when I qualified for the USAM, so I'm a big Waffle House guy. I got like, it. Uh, hold on. You're right. It's the US. It's the USAM. Yes. It was yellow visor. Yeah. It, yellow visor with like a, it looks like an oval, a very, very small oval logo right in the middle. Yeah. So that's a waffle. And oh, on the okay, back of it, okay. on the back of it, in cursive, it has the big visor. And, um... Yeah, so I, when I qualified for the USAM, Imperial reached out, which, number one, was awesome. That's Love like the that. mothership calling you home. It is. I mean, here is made. My life is made. It's complete. They reached out, and they were like, hey, congrats on the USAM. We'd love to send you some Waffle House-inspired visors. And I was almost brought to tears. I'm just kidding. But um, it was great. And I got three customized uh, Waffle House visors. Got a waffle on it. It's like a felt kind of material on the outside so very very vintage and uh it has the big visor on the back and uh yeah no they're they're sweet i wear them very often i love them yeah you know you know you and uh shipley are big waffle house guys apparently uh waffle house i i'm trying to get it either an nil deal or when when i'm on tour get a sponsorship with them that is that's my place. I'll I'll go there a lot. It is so good. I can't believe we're talking about Waffle House, but yeah, what's your go-to order? But go ahead, yeah, let's hear it. Go-to order. So, by the um, way, Shipley could probably destroy you five and four at a, at a Waffle House. And no, nope, no, nope. you can ask any of my. You can ask anyone on this team. I will out eat and uh, quicker and more food than anyone. But you, 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 I'm talking about Neil Shipley, though. You heard what I said, right? Oh, I'm, oh, I'm, I'm well aware. I can handle the big guns. Okay. I can handle it. Right. Let's let's roll. Okay. Um, go to Waffle House order. So after the workers greet me by my first name, get out of here. Um, Are you serious? Yeah. Oh, I know all the workers in Norman. They're great, great establishment. Oh um, but uh, get in there, get a black coffee, nothing in it, just 
Okay. Hot, hot, you know, the darker, the stronger, the better. Okay. And then I get a cheesesteak melt hash brown bowl. Uh, it's got hash browns, two slices of American cheese, some steak on top with onions, two scrambled eggs on top, and a folder of bacon on top. I know you're watering at the mouth. I get it. It's no, so I'm, I'm just I, I'm just thinking, did I take my cholesterol medication last night? And, <laughs> and I'm glad I did. I'm just thinking, wow, that's, that, that's a lot going on right there. It's a lot, but man, it makes a mean breakfast. Okay. I think next. I think next summer at some point or at, at some amateur tournament, I need to get you and Shipley uh, to a Waffle House. Yep, that we're doing that. Count it right now. Yeah. Are you? Uh, I, I, I make, are you? Uh, are you playing Jones Cup? I am not. I'm playing Patriot All American. I need to get out to that tournament at some point. Oh, it's. Yeah, I mean, it is. You need to get out there. You get to tour the Air Force Base. They've got like a skybox on 16 and 18, just blasting club music. It is an electric environment. I'm going to ask you, so before we talk about this team, and and I know you're kind of heading into the end of the fall season, you're going to kind of turn it around um, after the holidays and get back at it where the spring is really where everything matters in college golf. But uh, amateur golf versus college golf may, you know, to the layman, they may think, okay, it's the same thing. You know, it's just anything that's not professional, it's all the same. Can you maybe explain what you like more about, well, actually, what do you like more, college golf or amateur golf? Or is it just there's different things that are appealing to both? I mean, I know kind of your lap. Yeah, I mean, that's, a, that's again, it's a loaded question, but... I would say probably, you know, a little bit of both. I love, you know, being on the road with my teammates in college golf. I love hanging out with the guys and just, you know, cutting loose, having a great time with all of them on the road. And I don't know, we just feed and build off each other in college golf. And it's a little harder to do that in amateur golf just because you're not around your team. You're going to have a lot of your teammates at tournaments. And that's great uh, that you get to, I mean, get in a travel with them at these amateur tournaments. But, you know, you don't have your coaches there. And, you know, you also have to spend your own money in amateur golf and college golf. It's taken care of. So that's a little bit of a nice thing in college golf. But, um, yeah, I mean, I love both. And amateur golf, I love just because, you know, I get to look and dress like a mid-am and I get to wear whatever I want. And I love that. Um, in college golf, I kind of, you know, have to make a little bit of modifications to what I'm wearing. But, you know, I don't know. They're both just awesome. Yeah. I mean, the team aspect in college golf is great. Getting to uh, represent Oklahoma in your school is awesome. And, you know, in amateur golf, getting to represent yourself and, you know. So it's like summer, it's summer vacation. Everyone just kind of lets, lets loose a little bit. Exactly. Uh, you know, you get to do a little bit of your own thing. You get to go travel to all these different courses. And it's a little bit more, you know, relaxed and laid back. And college golf might be a little bit more intense, in my opinion. Um, I I, I would agree with that, but no, they're both great. I mean, there's just, there's, there are so many pros to both. Yeah. I'm just thinking about gosh, pro shop credit with you. You must go. I mean, Oh my, Oh my, do you, do you have pro shop credit still hidden at some tournaments in some places? Like, you know, like probably do. Yeah. Like some people have like, you know, you know, Swiss bank accounts or offshore accounts in the Caymans. I've got pro shop credit, about eight different clubs. See, there it is. There it is right there. Probably somewhere, some club out there. They're like, Oh, 
you get a nice, you get a free visor or a shirt. Yeah, I'll take that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, that's really that's the only way to do it. Um, all right, let's get let's get you out of here on this one. I know you're in the middle of qualifying right now. Um, uh, you know, next spring is really when things kind of heat up, and also this is kind of the last year for OU to be in the uh, Big Twelve. So, um, maybe the status of this team compared to other teams you've been on. What do, what are you most excited about heading into? Uh, uh, you know, next spring? I would say probably how competitive and how intense uh, we are because this is arguably probably the deepest team we've had at OU. Just, I mean, we've got nine guys on our team who could legitimately start, contend, and win a golf tournament. And that's that's awesome. You know, getting to play and compete against all these guys week in, week, week out and qualifying and just go, you know, just play some smash mouth golf against each other. It's it's fantastic. I mean, we, we're all feeding off each other and getting so much better from each other um, throughout qualifying, practice, all these different kinds of things. It's been, it's been great. Um, that's kind of the biggest thing that I've noticed is just how deep we are, how competitive we are, and, um, you know, getting to learn. And, yeah, we on, you know, some of the other teams that I've been on where we don't have, like, these number one, two, three players in the world – um, just absolutely leading the team. I feel like it's more of a team effort from every single person because yeah. we've just got so many guys who, you know, can compete, can go win a golf tournament, and we're all super, super talented. So I would say that that's just the biggest thing is like, even though that we haven't gotten off to the fall, the start of the fall like we wanted to, we're in a great spot and we're in a great place because, you know, we're continuing just to uh, learn and grow from each other and feed off each other each and every day. And we're going to pop through and it's going to be, uh, it's going to be a big, big time thing. So get ready. Seems like a good spot to end. I appreciate the time. Uh, enjoy the rest of the fall season. I know you got a trip out to Hawaii. Uh, make sure you pack plenty of visors, uh, send lots of pictures. I appreciate you stopping by the back of the range. Thank you, Ben. Uh, always a pleasure. And uh, thank you again for having me on. Dream come true. Oh, stop it. Here we go. Hey, you. St- uh, by the way, I want to get, I need, we need to get a shirt that says I stack cups. We got to figure that yes. out. Yes. Yes. Figure it out. We got to do it. All right. I'll work on it. And there you have it. Special thanks to Stephen Campbell Jr. for joining me on this episode here at the back of the range. Don't forget, follow along on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Every single episode is available at thebackoftherange.com. We'll see you next time here at the Back of the Range.